You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. If I sound a little hoarse, I probably am from uh, that performance from the Gators and defeating Auburn 24 to 13 and joining me on this episode to take a look back at Florida's big win over Auburn is Will Salmon from The Athletic. Will, that atmosphere in Gainesville on campus in the swamp yesterday was something to behold. Uh, that scene on Saturday is peak college football. Absolutely. It was pretty electric. And I thought it was pretty cool in the days leading up to the game, too, just around Gainesville. You know, you just saw more people just more around campus, um, not even necessarily particularly at the school, but just in restaurants. Just, I don't know, you just kind of got a different vibe around around the town, around the city. And certainly when you did get to campus, uh, I believe on Friday morning, people were already obviously with uh, the chairs out ready for college game day. So everybody was ready and that carried over into the game. It was as, as loud as it's, as I've been there that it's been. So it was electric to say the, to say the absolute least, man. It was just pretty cool to be, be there for that type of game and that type of environment because the swamp really showed out. Absolutely. Uh, the, the tailgate was up early at harmonic woods, uh, we didn't even have to make it to game day. Will game day came to us. So the camera came all the way down museum road uh, and was there, uh, you know, at the tailgate. So the tailgate got on TV. So a big shout out to Harmonic Woods and their 10 year anniversary and being able to celebrate it on game day. A good bit. That's what uh, college football is all about. And, and the tailgate set it up. And my Auburn buddy, George flew in from New York and you know, he was blown away by, by the tailgate, by the atmosphere of Gainesville and the swamp as well. So uh, definitely made a lasting impression. Uh, there uh, on Saturday from these Gators. Will and I will break this game down. Uh, there's a lot to break down in this game and, and what and what led Florida to a 24-13 to victory over Auburn. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or right now like so many of you are doing live on YouTube. Thank you so much for that. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Later on in the week, we'll get a preview for the LSU game, uh, but you can catch Talking with Troop, a News 4 Jacks exclusive later on uh, in the week. And Ben Troop will give his thoughts on this big win versus Auburn as well and look ahead to LSU. That's exclusively on News4Jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. We'll do it different this time. I know we usually lead with the offense. Offense always gets the headlines. 
But what a performance by this Gators defense. Uh, Auburn coming off their best performance of the season last week versus Mississippi State. Came into the game averaging 454.4 yards of total offense. They didn't come anywhere close to replicating that performance versus this Florida defense. From the get-go, this defense was on fire, forcing a three and out on the first drive, hitting and pressuring Bo Nix on that first drive. That set the tone, play one uh, there. So, you know, I think for this Florida uh, – it set the tone, uh, I think, for this Florida defense and and getting into the head of Bo Nix. You know, Florida wasn't necessarily hitting Nix all game when he dropped back to pass, but I think getting to him early on this first drive really affected his play for the rest of the game. And he said after the game, quote, it was a tough environment. Uh, you know, he ends up completing 11 of 27 for 145 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, sacked twice. Uh, he really go on, he went, he went on to say it was really loud. We had trouble hearing the clap for cadence. Sometimes we had slow communication, stuff like that happens. Every team that walks into the swamp has communication issues, but we just didn't do anything to make up for those, uh, in his quote there. So, well, it was a, it was absolutely a, a symbiotic relationship here. Uh, between this defense and the crowd we spoke about earlier. They fed off of each other. This defense was put in bad situations time and time again, only to come up strong and only give up one touchdown for the game. So, Will, not only was it a dominant performance, it was a resilient performance from this Florida defense. It was great the way you put that, too, with just the idea that a lot of times we do talk about the offense right away. And there's a good reason for that, especially this year with all that's going on with the quarterback position with Kyle Trask. And before that, it was obviously Felipe Franks and Emory Jones is always a thing every week. So yeah, that's going to be part of the discussion. It's going to be at the forefront. And then you have the running game too, of course, right? With um, its struggles and then Michael P. Ryan breaking the run that he did, that certainly warrants a lot of press and notoriety. But I was actually kind of surprised when I started reading a lot about the game from last night, this morning, and I didn't really read a whole lot about the defense, you know, and I thought that without that defense, there's no chance that they win this game really. Um, Because I thought the the game plan on both sides of the ball for Florida was pretty good. It was Mm -hmm. pretty impressive and they'd never really deviated from that at all. But defensively it was nearly flawless. I mean, they, I think the longest run that they allowed was maybe 15 yards or so. Um, And then the, Two, I guess there were two big pass plays, but one was coming off the fake punt and one was a miscommunication in the back. So, I mean, yeah, they did everything right. And it was cool to see just like that traditional sort of old school assignment based football where they felt good about their plan and the execution was there where guys really understood what Auburn was trying to do. Uh, pre-snap and after the snap they made the right reads and they really just capitalized on being fully informed on what Auburn was trying to do and we saw that in a tweet that I sent out a little bit earlier today uh, that sweep that they tried with Schwartz it was one of the fastest guys in college football I mean they shut that play down right away Um, and that was a credit to Marco Wilson's preparation and his ability to kind of see that play unfold before it happens and react to it and allow uh, James Houston to just kind of step up and make that play. So there's countless examples. A lot of them happened on third down. You mentioned the success, David, that they had. I believe it was the first time all season Auburn went three straight drives, three straight drives without a first down. And that's how they started the game. So 
clearly the the crowd came into play, like you mentioned. Uh, Bo Nix as well talked about how much of a factor that was. And we saw that they couldn't get a play call in. They couldn't get it relayed to the offensive linemen and receivers on a third down. I believe it was the first one, actually. Uh, and Florida was able to stop them. But I thought it was also cool what Sean Davis said after the game when he was asked about just how big the crowd was a fact, how much of a factor was the crowd. And he said it was big, but also the game planning. Uh, that's really what, what got them that win, just because guys were always making the right decisions when that ball was snapped. And that was pretty cool to see just because that's what the whole game was predicated on, was being disciplined and stopping that rushing attack or not even stopping it. I didn't think they could stop it. I thought that they were best at limiting it, but mm -hmm. they actually ended up stopping it. Yeah, and you mentioned that sweep to Schwartz. I think they only ran it like one time. That was uh, on that, Yeah, and it was kind of weird. You know, yes, it was four yard loss, I believe. It was, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Do you really, just because of, and don't get me wrong, I'm probably looking too much into this, but do you really not run it anymore because of the one negative four yard play? I I mean, weird. Yeah, I thought it was really weird not to see him again, right? Because yeah. you thought. And that's honestly, that's kind of like, I kind of forgot about that play for a little while until I rewatched the game. And I was like, oh, yeah, they did use this guy Schwartz um, because he was just a non-factor. So I don't know. I mean, that's a question for, I guess, uh, Gus Malzahn and, and Auburn more than it is the defense. But, yeah, I mean, it was weird. Um, but they did try to run the ball with Ubi Whitlow. They mm -hmm. did try to, to make some things happen with their wide receivers, and it was just not happening at all. I thought that they could have done a little bit more on the outside, but – Florida that just didn't let them get any yards there. I would love to see the advanced stats on how many yards they actually allow. It has to be a very small number. Right. Like, I don't want to get into the head of Gus Malzahn or, or, or kind of maybe, you know, put out a thought here for him. But, I mean, I, I don't think he'd be, after one drive, I don't think he'd be that scared of the speed of Florida defense not to run your offense. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he's stuck to a game plan and just kind of surprised that wasn't part yeah. you know more part of the game plan yeah I guess. Like, kind of surprising what the game plan was if that was the case yeah right? exactly, exactly exactly so uh yeah they'll be looking at i'm sure Auburn will go back to the drawing board there but I'll, part of that is also this third down defense certainly a concern for florida going into this game and, and how would the mobility of nicks uh, the misdirection of of uh, auburn's um uh, you know all offense how would he attack this gator defense with the misdirection and the window dressing and it didn't do all that much uh, the speed of florida's defense uh, like i said really affected gus malzahn's play calling we didn't see but the only one anthony short sweep defense held great contain on nicks in the auburn run game made their tackles after being called out last week for a lack of physicality and making tackles as you know we saw with the hbo special last week it didn't Mullen going into halftime, he said it on TV, but also in the locker room, really called out the the the, the bad tackling there. And Florida showed up uh, there after that. You know what this defense needed to do, they did, and, and that led Auburn to only convert two of fourteen on third down, with an average distance to go six point eight yards on third down. The defense only gave up two point four yards per play in that situation, so six point eight yards to go and the defense only gave up 2.4. So that, that's how you get off the field. Uh, another strong point there are the third and three or less stops I went back and tracked for this Gators defense. The Gators stopped the Tigers four out of five times in that scenario. So, you know, third and short, this Gator defense came ready to play. When they had a chance to get off the field, they made the most of it. And these short yardage situations are a test of, you know, a test of wills, you know, get, get there mentally, 
and physically go beat the guy opposite opposite of you. So uh, again, I think the crowd helped there. But Will, as you said, and what Sean Davis said, this was a lot about preparation uh, and, and kind of a, a will to get it going as well. Yes, and the biggest critique I had on Florida's defense heading into this game was not so much just third down, but just their inability to force like three and outs and just get off the field because when it mattered most and, and on third downs where they were in the red zone or um, at a critical juncture in a game, they did step up and they, and they usually did make the play and they either, you know, at worst case scenario, it was a field goal for the other team. But my problem was that they were allowing more than 25 yards per drive, which if you're an elite defense, that doesn't happen. And so in other words, you're giving teams too many opportunities to, to make a big play or just they're extending drives on you and that's going to catch up to you, particularly when you're against a quality team like Auburn. You get away with that sort of thing against the thousands of the world. You don't really get away with that as much against SEC teams. Here they eliminated that issue because they didn't let these drives fester at all. They, they nipped them, and it was quick three and outs for the most part. I mean, a handful of times it was three and outs, and a lot of that too was the pressure on Bo Nix, I thought. And we looked at the stats before the game, and he was horrible under pressure mm -hmm. um, heading into this game, and that came to be um, – that rang true in this game too. And it was, I think, a product of just Dan, uh, Todd Grantham really – making adjustments with his personnel, particularly on those third downs, getting the right guys in on those situations, where whether it was uh, Mahmoud Diabadi on that one play or James Houston earlier or Amari Bernie in passing situations. He made a lot of really, really shrewd moves that I think can often get overlooked because you don't really point to those as much as you do the ones on offense. But that shouldn't get really overlooked because that's a guy who really started has started to understand and get the most out of his personnel this year, which is kind of a difference from last year and highlights the depth. Because if you look at guys like even Slayton, for example, who has improved and have given them that opportunity where you can roll a decent amount of guys at every position. So it's a combination of a lot of things, but what we're seeing is a group really come together and play some quality football defensively. And you talk about the personnel, you talk about the depth, and you talk about you know, those players there in Florida got a few guys back, but still one main, you know, Jabari Janiga didn't play this game. And Florida still had a dominant performance uh, again on defense here. But you had C.J. Henderson come back, Sean Davis, Ventro Miller, all guys making plays uh, all day long in this game. And I can't you know, speak enough to uh, you know, those guys not, not really showing uh, amount of rust there. Uh, of course, you know, some of them only missed a game or so, and then C.J. Henderson out for a while, but still to be able to do that, bring the pressure they did, get into the backfield, make the stops, hold contain without Jabari Zuniga on the defensive line really speaks to, you know, Jonathan Gennard, his leadership, and how he, you know, just knows this defense because of his relationship with Todd Grantham. There's not a drop-off at all there. Uh, there and, and it's leading, Will, it's leading to big things for this Gators defense. 15 takeaways in our last four games. 12 interceptions in the last five games. Florida has three-plus interceptions in at least three games in the same season for the first time since 2012 when it had three-plus interceptions in four games. The big Sean Davis interception in the second quarter was his third of the season. Um, you know, 14 FBS players entered the week tied for the national lead with three interceptions apiece. Davis, uh, he did not have an interception entering this year, three so far this year. And the Gators held Auburn to season low in points with 13, plays with 61, rushing yards with 124, and total yards 
and 269. And all with all that said, the Gators ranked number one in the country in takeaways with 17 uh, there. So, I mean, it was just a, another dominant performance, Will, in creating havoc. Does havoc creating turnovers. Uh, and, and this Gators defense is kind of really feasting off that. And with the way, and we'll get into it, with the way the offense was also kind of turning the ball over as well, those turnovers were, those, ter- those turnovers were needed. Yeah, especially that, especially that one, where was it in, in the end zone? Yeah. Um, uh, Steiner. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at this, one of, the, one of my favorite stats so far from this year, it's kind of a funny one, but uh, it's um, perc- uh, scoring percentage for opponents in the red zone. And Florida's number one in the country, it's defense. Ooh. And it's around like say 30, 35%. Number two is about 55%. Could you imagine that? Between, I don't know if there's another stat in the country that has that large of a, a margin between number one and number two. Like that's pretty crazy. Um, and so like that's that's pretty impressive. And a couple of guys you didn't mention quickly were I, I thought Marco Wilson played an excellent game. And that one tackle on the Bo Nick scramble where I just thought, okay, there's no way nobody's coming up. He yeah. comes, flies up, and makes a huge tackle. Now, I believe that was on third down too, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. And so that's another example of that. I thought that was a great play. And David Reese made a couple of nice plays too, particularly on third down. He was a tackling machine. Yeah, 13 Yeah, thirteen total tackles. Yeah, I mean, I know he gets criticized sometimes for maybe his pass coverage, but, man, he does his job uh, when it comes to stuffing the run and, and making things happen and, and getting guys uh, geared up and clued in for what's about to happen defensively. So, yeah, absolutely, just a tremendous game for their defense. I mean, if you tell people that the offense was going to turn the ball over four times, Kyle Trask was going to get hurt, uh, there was going to be a a fake punt that was going to be a miscue and just an ill-advised decision, and they were still going to win this game the way they did, the only only path was through the defense, and, and that's what happened. Man, that fake punt was still almost there, though. <laughs> it was yeah. a, it was such a weird tackle the guy made. The guy that made you, he got he got hit. He's on the ground, almost just kind of just sticks his arm out and kind of luckily makes the tackle there. It was it, it was it was like I said with with the way the defense was playing and all that. You yeah, the fake probably shouldn't have happened, but it still still kind of took a crazy tackle for uh, for Towson to get tackled. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, like, I didn't really mind it that much. I know it sounds kind of silly, and people may hate on that. Um, but I, when it when I noticed that Towson is faking it right away, I'm like, okay, this is this is actually a pretty cool decision. I kind of like it. Now the result happens, and it's like, oh wow, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> but like before the result occurs, I say to myself. I understand, like, look, your defense is playing at a high, high level. Uh, chances are that you're going to flip field position there and they're going to get you the ball right back anyway. So why even do it? It's a gamble that doesn't have like that high of a reward. I I mean, the reward was kind of high, I guess, but what I'm trying to say is that it was pretty unnecessary of a gamble considering Mm -hmm. the circumstances and the context, but same time, that's who you are. That's who Dan Mullen is. And I, if I, if I'm a Florida fan, I don't want my coach playing tight in a big game. I didn't mind it that much. Yep. So with that said, as I said, I'll read the stat again. Gators ranked number one in the country in takeaways with 17 and interceptions with 12. So we'll get along and look at what this offense did. But before we do, uh, you guys have got to go try UFM underwear. It's hot out there, still hot out there, first week of October. So whether you're out there tailgating or working, you need a pair of UFM underwear. 
Underwear for Men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company, so you're shopping local uh, when you support UFM underwear, and they have you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, or medical underwear, Underwear for Men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. Um, well, we probably would have been laughed at this week had we said Florida was going to outrush Auburn, but that's exactly what happened <laughs> in yeah. this game. Go do what? That was pretty weird. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, we would uh, we would have been laughed out of uh, any type of uh, analysis if we would have said that there. Florida gained 172 yards rushing compared to Auburn's 157. Florida did lose 40 yards rushing while Auburn lost 33. Even with that, Florida was able to outrush Auburn with 132 total net yards to Auburn's 124. The Gators averaged four yards per rush, and that counts to the sacks here in college football as well. So, you know, and um, it, it was a dominant performance by any means, but it was still a better performance than most expected. Uh, and so much of that comes from Michael P. Ryan's 88-yard touchdown run. Uh, we've come on here for weeks and, and have had to the you know ask this, ask the question and discuss you know how much this offensive line is affecting Lamichael P Ryan and if other running backs deserve more carries you know well after those questions have been around for weeks you know Auburn didn't have uh, much interest in recruiting Lamichael P Ryan he produces the run that seals the game for the Gators uh, and that's a run will that uh, we can tell you know. A, tweeted it right after it happened that that was a run that was so personal for him. And he even mentioned it in post game as well. Definitely. And it was just, it really proved the kind of playmaker that LaMichael P Ryan is and has been and kind of stinks when you don't have any room to, to maneuver and to make anything happen. And I pointed out in previous shows, but it's not like LaMichael P Ryan was the only running back who had an issue getting stopped at the line of scrimmage multiple times this season. That's, that's happened to Damian Pierce as well. Now Pierce was able to um, make a couple more bigger runs, but again, some of that's because he was playing more in the second half, uh, particularly against Tennessee when that team was already tapped out anyway. So the context matters there. And I thought what was pretty cool to see on that particular run from Piran was on the left side of the line did a pretty decent job blocking. I think they had Stone Forsyth pull on that play and Richard Garage was playing guard and he did a good job against his assignment. Um, and then Heggie uh, was asked to kind of get the next guy. Uh, I believe it was Britt, the linebacker. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he tries to get a block on him quickly after, after helping out with Buchanan, doesn't get all of them. So Britt's able to kind of slip off him. And so Piron has to make a play there and he has to break that tackle, which he does. And not only that, but he breaks another tackle about 10 yards later um, before he goes the rest of the way pretty much untouched, which is pretty fast for a guy who was deemed too slow by, by the opposing team. But he, he, he deserved that, um, and he made that run happen too because that if, if P. Ryan's not there, um, if, uh, if P. Ryan doesn't make that play, the yard, it's not an 88-yard run. Yeah, and you know that's on – uh, later on in the game, but after Damian Pierce uh, goes out with a concussion, uh, and when, whew, that was a, I, I watched that again, that hit, and that was a nasty hit. 
uh, you know, it, it, targeting, you know, it, it's never called consistently uh, there. Uh, I think it, you know, could have went both ways and how how the game of football is played. Uh, I'm not a big targeting being called type of football fan anyway, uh, but understand the need for it. But uh, yeah, just the inconsistency there, uh, I think, is what rubs the fans the wrong way. But you know, the Michael Pete Ryan was needed. You know, Damian Pierce was not going to be out there, and he was really producing, still making blocks in the backfield, still being used as a uh, as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And it's just really good to see him kind of maybe silence doubters and. Uh, uh, all that and you know, probably more personal, not only for the Auburn aspect of it, Will, but just a lot of, you know, just going back to what we just, just kind of discussed, just because of all the talk surrounding Lamichael P. Ryan and, and, and what happened this year to him. Uh, as far as he and the running game with the offensive line goes, as I said, it wasn't a dominant performance, but uh, there were some timely runs for it. Like, I, I still overall got a better performance out of this offensive line and run game than I thought coming in. You, you weren't pointing at the game and telling yourself, wow, like they, they're they losing this game or they're not able to win this game because of that issue. Yeah. I don't want to say it was anything great. It wasn't. Right. Uh, stats indicate that. And it was pretty clear that they were having trouble and it was not, it was not clicking. Uh, it certainly wasn't. Yeah. I think before the big run, I think Florida only had around 40, 45 yards total yeah. from the run. Yeah. Yeah. And LaMichael himself was averaging about three yards, if that. Yeah. Uh, probably even a little bit a tad lower than that actually but yeah it's, it's going to be a season-long issue look that run does not fix their issues i mean that's that's still a problem yep. but what it does show is that although we're seeing more passes than last year and the offense is different in that regard they're not automatically or they're not just going to you know wash their hands with the running game it's, it's going to still be there it's going to still be utilized they're not just going to completely get rid of it and they didn't completely get rid of it even against Auburn, when it was clear it wasn't really working that well. They kept going to it a little bit, um, and they kept pounding away at it. And lo and behold, chip away, chip away, chip away, they finally broke one. Well, I think we just set a record for the longest time I'm inside of an episode where I've talked about the quarterbacks. So. <laughs> yeah, you briefly mentioned it, I guess, at the start. Yeah, yeah, here we are about 25 minutes in here, so kind of surprising here. But, yeah, Kyle Trask. Steps up once again, and I think we can say Florida can feel fine with him taking over at the quarterback position. It's passed every test so far. Not everything is perfect, you know, but it, come in and it came in in a presser situation in Lexington, played very well in his first start versus Tennessee, uh, and now this was a test in playing one of the, the best defenses in the country, and it was another performance we can point to that he is absolutely ready to be Florida's quarterback. Uh, there was the scare with the injury, but he comes back out plays greedy football to help the Gators win this football game. I'm sure his teammates already respect the heck out of him, but that sends a sign that he's going to bring everything he's got playing the quarterback position for the Gators. Yeah, I think everybody, like you said, respected the guy. Know, everybody knew his story, and, and how can you not respect a guy who has put in all the work that he has um, to kind of just accept his role first, do everything he can as a teammate, and to thrive and be prepared to take that next step when the opportunity is there for him. So he had that respect, but it, like you're mentioning or alluding to, it's now even increased just because of what he showed against uh, against Auburn last uh, yesterday. But, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly he still has some issues with pocket awareness. Um, he was strip-sacked three times, uh, sacked four times. 
and he's got to hold on to the football in those instances as well. Uh, easy for me to say I'm not the guy getting hit by um, a borderline Heisman Trophy candidate and Brown for Auburn. So that I get that, but we saw the same thing happen uh, now two or three games in a row. So it, it's it's an issue that they got to solve or fix with him. And I don't know what the answer is there, but aside from that, that's really the only critique that I can give him. Uh, he did he did an excellent job again distributing the ball, going through his reads, and really picking apart mismatches, which I thought was the clear game plan for Florida's offense. Short passing game, we didn't really see like a whole bunch of I guess like screens and and that sort of thing. Yeah. They didn't really need to because what they did instead was really thrive with the hitches. And and drags and outs and that sort of thing where they, they had a they had, they, they had a they had a size advantage out there and they really used it. Yeah, I, I thought it was key, especially like on the Freddie Swain and Hammond against linebackers. Mm-hmm. They really attacked that and did a great job doing so and identifying it. And that's something that you do in the game planning. You identify that that's going to happen, and then you see it, and then you get the ball to those guys. And that's what they did. And it was. A combination of like you're saying the the size, but but also I thought the speed too. Where yeah. I mean, there was just so much separation a lot of these times when it was Freddie Swain versus Britt or whoever it was, uh, a linebacker or even a safety for that matter. A lot of times they they got out of their release and there was just so much separation where it was I don't want to say easy, but it was there. The window was clear, and Trask did a good job hitting those guys. And really, they were one or two one broken tackle away from explosive plays a handful of times where we saw Auburn's defenders uh, make an ankle tackle maybe at like the last second on a couple of instances where otherwise that would have been uh, taken for a touchdown. Yeah, well, you mentioned Trask uh, issues fumbling the ball. We've seen it now, as you said, we've seen now, uh, we've seen it enough now to know that it is an issue. It was helping, it, it helped keep Auburn in the game. Two of those happened in the first quarter. And by the time we're at halftime, Florida held a 292-yard advantage, but turnovers were the difference, and Florida only holding a 17-13 to 13 score advantage. You couldn't help but feel Florida should have – you know, it should have been a larger score at, at halftime. You felt good about where Florida was at because, they, as you said, they were hitting big plays. There were uh, plays from, you know, just almost breaking loose there, uh, but you could – and they had the, the punt um, – the fumble punt, too, by Auburn that set them up in good field position, and the fumble ends up out of that, too. You could you know, plenty of times we go back and look at what Florida was able to do versus FSU in the first half last year. It's a close game at halftime, but you could tell Florida was doing the things they needed to do to feel good about winning that game. Peach Bowl against Michigan was kind of the same way. Uh, Tennessee this past year, 17 nothing, probably closer than it should have been, but you knew Florida was well in control of that game. Kind of got that feeling here as well, and just those trash turnovers was kind of what kept Auburn in the game. Yeah, and – what, what I like, though, despite that about Florida, is their ability to just, like, not have those things sort of, like, accumulate a snowball into a much bigger deal. They are really good at bouncing back after those sort of things. And that extends into the fourth quarter of games where they've been absolutely dominant as far as outscoring their opponents and really not allowing them their opponents to score at all. So, yeah, I agree with you. It looked as if... I never thought that Florida was being outplayed or anything like that. I always thought the score was evident of Florida not trailing in the game and really handling it throughout the whole entire duration 
of the game. And I never thought it was anything less than that. But the score did tell us that, you know, that the, the miscues a couple of plays away from them backfiring and them being a big reason why things could have gone a little bit hectic. But again, uh, speaks to the character, I thought, of, the, of this Gators team where they just don't let that bother them or snowball and accumulate into bigger, bigger issues. Absolutely. So all in all, uh, you know, uh, such a good day for the Florida quarterbacks. Trask, 19 to 31, 234 yards, two touchdowns. And I know it's just a small sample size, but what Emory Jones was able to come in and do after Trask was injured was, no, was nothing short of remarkable and, and really says a lot about him and, and, and Dan Mullen and preparing for that moment. Emory takes over for Trask in the second quarter, led a drive to a field goal, and that you know, the 17-13 lead that Florida took in the halftime it would have been easy to just come in and be conservative with Jones, but Florida wasn't going to win the game that way. We still had no idea what Kyle Trent he had just went to the locker room. We had no idea if he was going to come back out. I'm sure the coaches didn't know at that point either when Emory Jones is in there. But that drive where he takes over, he goes three for four passing, two of those to Freddie Swain for a combined 34 yards. At this point, Will, I think it's safe to say Dan Mullen will have his quarterbacks ready to play. No doubt. You mentioned – uh, not being conservative, but, you know, I actually thought that they were a little bit conservative on that third down call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The game, and not necessarily like with Jones throwing the ball there, but I mean, I just didn't understand the run in that particular instance. Just, I just didn't see the reasoning behind that. Um, didn't quite get that one, but you, the guy was ready. Um, I, Emory Jones looked good in the brief time he was on the field. Um, and again, I like, you, you're not going to say much about, the drop off between any of their QBs at this point, because they all look very prepared credit to Dan Mullen credit to Brian Johnson as well for, for really establishing a great competitive environment with them and having these guys prepared for the moment. It's not too big for them whenever they're inserted into the game. More on this passing offense. Will the uh, you know notes from Florida uh, that they send us after games, the, the Florida, uh, the Gators have 250-plus passing yards in six consecutive games for the first time since a six-game stretch that spanned the final two games of the 2003 season and the first four games of 2004. Man, that's a long time ago. <laughs> the Gators also entered the week as one of 12 FBS teams with four offensive plays of 60-plus yards. Florida now has six plays of 60-plus yards, uh, a total only Colorado State, Oklahoma State and UCF entered this week with. He really extended uh, to uh, Freddie Swain's big day. Six receptions, 146 yards, are the highest single-game receiving yardage total by a Gator since Demarcus Robinson had 216 yards on 15 catches against Kentucky back in 2014. It was a key stat here. Swain finished with more receiving yards on his own than Auburn's entire team. 145 there so good good for the senior there to get that you know kind of production in what so far is the biggest game of the season his 64 yard touchdown reception on florida's opening drive was florida's third passing touchdown of 60 plus yards this season Kadarius tony had the 66 yard touchdown reception versus miami van jefferson with the other a 69 yard touchdown reception against tennessee another senior stepping up hammond 13 yard touchdown reception in the second quarter made him the ninth different Gator to catch a touchdown this season. Oregon, Ohio State, Purdue, UCF, and Washington State were the only other FBS teams that entered this week with more than eight different players with a receiving touchdown. 
Last season, 11 Gators had a touchdown reception, so Florida's only two away from that uh, right now. And continuing, here he goes again. Kyle Pitts set his career high in receptions for the fourth consecutive game as he finished this game with eight receptions for 65 uh, yards, uh, yeah, 65 yards, which were also a career high for Kyle Pitts. Then no touchdowns, Will, for Kyle Pitts. You know, Florida managed to get the seniors in the end zone here. But when I mentioned your know, size advantage early on, that, that that was where it was evident. You know, that's one reason I think he got his eight receptions was because we keep saying mismatch for for Kyle Pitts, and a lot of times it was kind of just beating coverage in, in the last few games, kind of being faster than the guy covering him. But at this point, I just think it was a size advantage of him being able to go up uh, and convert and, and and help these quarterbacks out. Well, it gives Florida some hope against even a team like LSU is how many options that they have where in this game against Auburn, it was pretty clear that the slot receiver was going to have an advantage that they were going to try to capitalize on, but that's not going to be the case in every game. And so really it's, you could ask whoever um, that you want as far as, well, who's going to be the guy that's going to step up and be the playmaker in this game? It could be any of them on any given week. And that's tough for people like me to kind of guess at, but it's equally as tough for opposing defenses to kind of game plan around because they could hit you in a couple of different ways. And so uh, although the offense is pretty limited in what it can do because of the offensive line, the strength of the team is the wide receivers who are unselfish. They get out in space, they block, they're faster than a lot of DBs. And like you said, they're also bigger than guys too. Strong group. And and it's just a very deep sort of stable that you could choose from. That just makes it so much difficult for, for opposing defenses to kind of game plan. So that's what gives them an edge going into these games. Um, sim- like you combine that with a defense and now you're looking at a team that, you know, plays to its strengths, they can make some noise. Yeah, we keep talking about depth on the defense, and this is still for the Florida receivers doing it without Kadarius Toney uh, right now. So still being able to get to 6-0 and with what many consider your best playmaker on offense uh, still sitting on the sideline with an injury. So we'll see when he when he returns. Uh, you know, probably on the edge now of getting him ready for LSU, but I guess we'll find out more this week. He was still in a sling on the sideline uh, yesterday. So, uh, will you, you, you don't have anything on that more, do you? I mean, just seeing it being around Gainesville and, and, and seeing him around. Well, I saw him in a sling and he's been, um, before every Gator walk, he waits, he waits for the team by the, by where the bosses let out the players. Okay. And so he's there again, but beyond that, there isn't any update as far as when he'll be back. Um, he was chasing down LaMichael Piran on the sideline for LaMichael yeah, Piran. And that's the case I'm speed there. Um, and he had, before the game, similar to like what Felipe Franks was doing with Kyle Trask and the quarterbacks a couple of weeks ago, he was standing in front of the wide receivers, kind of giving them sort of like a, a, a defender to kind of go against um, during pregame uh, warmups. And so that was a little bit different. But as far as like a, a firm update, nah, not yet. Hopefully tomorrow, though, maybe. Before we get into these tweets, Will, here. Odd stat for this game, four turnovers for both teams and the points off of turnovers for each team. Six for Auburn, seven for Florida. Both defenses holding strong in turnaround situations. And I know we've heard Todd Grantham and Dan Mullen really speak to the defense's performance all throughout this year so far and being able to go out there with, you know, Florida's offense is turning the ball over 
so much more than they were last year. I have to go back and look at total numbers again. I haven't looked at total number of turnovers, but you know they were already pressing for matching last last year's turnover t- total going into this game. But now, of course, uh, the four more in, in this game. But you know both defenses here four turnovers apiece. Auburn, uh, you know, just kind of the the points off for turnovers. You know, six for Auburn and seven for Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a weird one for you, right? Because you would think that that number would be a little bit higher given the amount of turnovers that we saw. <laughs> and, the field, and the field position the offenses were taking over in. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but I guess Brown, if he's 10 pounds lighter, maybe he does score <laughs> on that one. I don't know. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a weird game, and that's and that's and that certainly highlights that fact. Absolutely. So, all right, let's get into some tweets that our listeners sent. Uh, a good bit of them here, so I'll try and get through as much as I can here. Nicholas Goldsmith says, uh, I was really shocked at how they gave us no chance against Auburn. I live here in Birmingham, and that's all I kept hearing was how they were going to dominate us on the talk shows. Now I hear about how Auburn isn't that good instead of giving us credit now. And that is a that is a, a narrative, Will, that was coming into this game. As far as I wasn't getting enough credit, uh, I know CBS, uh, their, their pregame show, I think that airs midweek. Uh, their whole panel picked Auburn uh, midweek. You know, game day crew was split, uh, I believe. Um, going by, I know Kirk and Corso picked the Gators. Uh, Desmond picked Auburn, I think, there. So, uh, of course, you know, everybody kind of, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All that matters is Florida six and no. But as a fan base, you know, fans like to see their fan, their team talked about in a positive light. We had an episode on that last week of how this could change uh, the the narrative a little bit of Florida and. I, and Looking at SEC Network this morning and, and listening to some shows, uh, national shows there, um, uh, ESPN Radio and all that stuff, you know, they're giving Florida credit, uh, you know, for probably for the first time this year, of course, after some disappointing performances early in the year there. But you know, it was uh, it, it was a chance for Florida to make a statement heading into this LSU game, heading into this gauntlet that that Florida's you know, heading into now in October, November, it sets up a huge matchup with LSU coming up. Game day is going to be in Baton Rouge. So two weeks in a row, third time this year, game day is covering the Gators. You had the Gators on HBO last week. I mean, everything right now, you know, Florida's in the spotlight. And if they continue winning, Will, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it the, I think the fan base can start to, you know, if they want to relax a little bit, they can relax a little bit as far as narratives go. Well, college football is such a weird sport where subjectivity matters so much. Yeah. We see it in the poll. So it, it does matter. And so, like, you kind of, like, dismiss, like, fans being upset about, you know, so-and-so didn't pick us or so-and-so thinks we stink. Um, it kind of does matter, unfortunately, what people think about you in college football, which is really weird. Uh, but hey, that's, that's how it is. So, so yeah, it, it matters. Um, but the way to fix it is to keep winning. And although, again, it was, I guess, could be classified as a quote, ugly win. Um, but still, uh, they look pretty dominant in some phases of, the, of that game. Um, and you can't take that away. And they got the win that the skeptics needed to see in order to sort of include Florida in a group of teams that could sort of compete, if not for the college football playoff, at least for maybe a conference title. Absolutely here. And a great topic coming up here. And of course we'll have to discuss, but uh, John Ward says, what a game and an atmosphere. This win puts a bow on the first half of the season and should get the recruiting momentum going win or lose in Baton Rouge. 
this season. The second half comes down to the Georgia game. Mentioned recruiting momentum, and right before kickoff yesterday, Will, Florida gets a huge commitment from offensive tackle Isaiah Walker, previously committed to South Carolina, looked to be a Miami-Florida battle, uh, ends up uh, committing to the Gators on the field to Dan Mullen uh, while the, the Gators were warming up. So this was even before Florida went out <laughs> and beat Auburn. You can't help but think this atmosphere, this electricity that was around the swamp, around Gainesville, will only help recruiting, but Florida picked up a huge position of need at offensive tackle with Isaiah Walker. For sure. That was arguably their biggest position of need this cycle. That, and I believe safety and wide receiver give a good run for the money, but definitely needed this kid. And it's it also highlights a trend of these South Florida kids, particularly the offensive line, uh, committing to the Gators. Um, so they, they've done well in that area. Um, I believe that, in my, in my opinion, they should probably pick up at least another offensive tackle. Um, but it's definitely was a major pickup. Unfortunately for them, he can't play next week. <laughs> yeah, but but um, no, he's, he's, he's the type of high-end talent. I liked his film. He, he lost some weight, too, and he looks a lot better. He had, he had a little bit of bad weight, in my opinion, Just um, but he shed that, and he looks, he looks good. Um, so excited to see what he does the rest of his – this season and it's a great pickup. I mean, it was something that they needed and they needed to capitalize on the amount of visits that they had for that game, just because they didn't have too many opportunities for, for visits this, this year with the two neutral site games, plus two FCS games that nobody wants to really be a, an official visitor for. Um, you're not seeing a great game that way, but they got a lot of kids on campus, a lot of five-star high-end talent for multiple classes. So it was cool for the Gators to, to also put a put a bow on it with a commitment, um, and especially on the offensive line. Absolutely. Walker was coming into this weekend on kind of on commit watch, and, and it did happen. Uh, so good job by the staff there and pulling him in uh, and getting him committed. A couple thoughts here. Country Boy at UF1 says uh, mostly relief. Now someone said here yesterday, this morning, we will know exactly how far we've come under Mullen's leadership. I am now confident that we can compete with anybody. Our defense is legit, and the offense will only get better after this. Uh, Jeff uh, Jeff DNNC says, huge Gator win, a week with a ton of national attention, putting pressure on everyone to perform at a high level. Top 10 wins, extremely hard, a lot invested in it. Gators have a few more confidence building, play to your strengths, and clean it up. Uh, they have to believe now. So th- that is – one point here, Will, this was uh, – he said he mentions top 10 wins, extremely hard to come by. Well, for Mullen lately and what he's been able to do, you know, he – when this, he's playing in some top 10 matchups, he seems to know how to get his teams ready to perform on the big stage. Yeah, a lot of preparation goes into it. The staff works their tails off to kind of put their guys in position to make it work and execute their the, the game plan that they want them to do. And so they they put a lot into it. But also what kind of proves that Dan Mullen kind of gets it and understands the expectations here was he says afterward, afterward that, look, it's great, but it doesn't mean anything now because now we got to prepare for LSU. And so that just tells you that he's building something and they're not just satisfied with a top 10 win at home 
they want that to be more of the norm, the norm for the Gators. And that, so they're building toward that. They're not sort of just saying to themselves, wow, you know, look at us, look at how great of a job we did in getting a win versus a very good team because they can't afford to do that in this conference. And they know that they're aware of that. And so they're already looking ahead to, to LSU as soon as that game pretty much ends or, or shortly afterward, by the time that post game press conference starts. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it just shows you that this this staff gets it as far as expectations and what's necessary to to build this team, uh, build this program, and make it something where success is sustainable. Yeah, so more uh, more stats on that top ten uh, there. So Florida has won each of the last five matchups between two top ten teams in the swamp, and this all time record in top ten matchups in the swamp improves to thirteen and five. Florida has also won eight of its last 10 games against top 10 teams in the swamp. So, I mean, it speaks to, you know, just getting getting this team ready uh, for big games here and uh, just really uh, keep keeping it going uh, for these Gators. Some more tweets here. Corey Casey, Corey Casey still says uh, offensive line still a major concern. Trash can't keep taking hits. Defense played lights out. And I really believe we match up well versus LSU. Uh, so, you know, any – Ask if Zuniga will be back this week. Uh, you know, hopefully so. Hey, we'll see when. when uh, do what? He he was dressed out. He was dressed out. Played. Okay, so yeah, hopefully we'll get more on that when uh, Mullen meets with the media uh, on Monday. Maybe shed some more light uh, on that situation. Uh, so he does mention offensive line. Latest concern here. Uh, Trash can't keep taking hits. I mean, we know that part of it. Uh, I think sometimes half and half better pocket presence from Trask can help out there as well. Uh, but, you know, we kind of discussed that earlier about him fumbling and, and taking hits. Definitely uh, don't want him taking hits also just because of, you know, you're, he's already your second string quarterback. You you know, you don't want to take another depth hit uh, as well. But kind of going back to what we discussed with Emory Jones, you can feel comfortable uh, with him taking over. Scott Sweat says, huge win, awesome crowd. Without turnovers could actually have been a blowout. That's how focused we were. If this offensive line can be just serviceable, this team could win the East. You can see they are playing for each other. Brian Coates says, physically dominant, better tackling. Hopefully injuries aren't too bad. Uh, Need Trask to move a little in the pocket. Offensive line did better. Receivers look great, and running game will be better next week. The effort was there as a team. And uh, Casey Hampton here, Atlanta Gator, says the swamp was defended. Mack and Muschamp talked about it. Mullen has done it. Two games lost in two years and two wins against top 10 teams. And you know, uh, and you do that on a national stage. Mullen gets it all the good and all the crazy it is to be a Gator, all the expectations, everything. Uh, the head beer coach, good name here. Uh, defense is scary good, even with Zuniga not playing and clock's not cleared. Uh, don't like how easily Auburn defensive line beat our offensive tackles, but. We won't see another defensive line as tough uh, this year. If we stay healthy, game plans on both sides of the ball, give us a chance against anybody. Uh, last one here uh, from uh, a la Gatorman1. Electric crowd had these players pumped from the get-go. Defense played incredibly well. If Florida doesn't fake the punt, then I don't think Auburn scores a touchdown. That Florida defense in the fourth quarter has been lights out. Hopefully that continues as we move forward. So a couple more notes that uh, kind of on that last point there about Florida defense in the fourth quarter being lights out. Will the Gators have outscored their opponents 100, 
and 15 to 16 over the last 13 quarters of football. So not only the fourth quarter, uh, the Gators are really, you know, doing it just lately. Uh, but, uh, and they've outscored its opponents 112 to 17 in the second half this season, including a 64 to seven advantage in the fourth quarter that leads the nation in uh, uh, fourth quarter scoring margin there. The only touchdown with DJ's Dallas 50 yard touchdown in the Miami game. So not only just the Florida defense, this game clutching the you know, third and um, uh, third down situations, this game and the season really being able to, to just shut teams down in the second half. Yeah. Last year they did a really good job of finding ways to win. And this year, I think it's been an extension of that just not as maybe obvious where last year it was like, okay, they won this game because of special teams. They won this game because of defense and so on and so forth. Um, this year it's just been, been a good ability to kind of just like keep your foot on the gas pedal in a lot of instances and did not let up. And that's again, testament to the, to the strength and conditioning program. I think of this team where they, these guys are ready to play. They maintain that same energy level throughout the duration of games. And so it's, They've, they've become a team where you do not want to play the Florida Gators in the fourth quarter of a game, especially if the game is tight. You just, that's just not the opponent that you want because they're going to find a way to win, and they could do it on they could do it because of their ability to to cash in on both sides. And well, while we were on recording here, the AP poll came out for the Gators, and the Gators are now up to seventh in the AP poll there. So uh, about where most people expected them uh, to jump up there. So that'll be going against number five LSU. Speaking of LSU, let's take a look around the SEC before we sign off here. LSU big winners over Utah State, forty-two to six. Uh, Joe Burrow throws for three hundred and forty-four yards, and that Tiger defense shuts down a really good Utah State offense, holds them to one hundred and fifty-nine yards there. So big game next week in Baton Rouge between Florida and LSU, two top ten teams there. Missouri beats Troy 42 to 10. Georgia with a slow start comes back and beats Tennessee 43 uh, to 14. And in the late SEC game, Ole Miss pounds Vanderbilt 31 to 6. Looks like Ole Miss might be figuring some things out uh, on the offensive side of the ball with Rich Rod. So, well, man, I won't talk to you again. Well, on the podcast anyway, (laughs) until next Sunday when we review Florida and LSU. Uh, quickly with about a week away what's your uh, initial thoughts uh, heading into the game well uh, as far as the matchup goes it's not I think as pronounced as like the path to victory just because like you, you needed to sort of say to yourself with Florida um, they need to lean on their defense and and we kind of knew what they were looking to do offensively here like LSU's defense is better than Auburn's I think um, as much as that front seven is is in Auburn's favor, that secondary is pretty good for LSU. They got some stars there um, that Auburn did not did not have. And so there's that aspect of it, but also offensively. I mean, this is an entirely different LSU offense than last year and any year for that matter with uh, the new acquisition of Joe Brady calling plays and making things happen for them. So completely different team. It's, 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 <laughs> it's a tough test, and that's putting it very mildly. Yeah, hopefully it's a game. Florida can get the run game going. Uh, that's the, much easier to do. Uh, you know, if you can win a game, if you can run the ball, it's much easier to do on, on the road. Because, look, this atmosphere that we just saw in the swamp yesterday, that's exactly what Florida's going to be walking into next week in Baton Rouge yeah. uh, for, for a night game. We saw the difference it made for this Florida 
defense and this Florida team, LSU is going to be getting that same type of treatment next Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you stole the words right from right from my mouth. I mean, that's we saw it just happen on Saturday, and we're going to see the flip side of that. What happens when you're the opponent, um, and it doesn't get much better than Saturday night in Death Valley like that. So I'm excited for it. It's yeah, that's just another one of those SEC games that it's going to grab the nation's attention, and that's it's where you want to be in Week Seven of the season for sure. Absolutely. So of course, I know plenty of coverage for the big game over at the Athletic uh, from you. Uh, they're previewing this LSU game and also uh, what you've done uh, since yesterday, uh, reviewing this Auburn game. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we'll, we'll be previewing some matchups with LSU, making sure we're hitting on the things that are important. Um, also have a story up on just the defense's staff's ability to kind of game plan for for that Auburn win and the amount of time they put into that. So pretty cool uh, just to kind of see that unfold the way it did. Um, so thanks again, Dave, for having me on, man. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, too, for all the insight in Florida's big 24 to 13 top 10 win over Auburn. Florida now number seven in the AP poll, traveling to Baton Rouge to take on a top five LSU team. College game day will be there if you missed that announcement. So Gators in the spotlight once again uh, in, in the nation. And uh, everybody just, uh, you know, look, stay tuned to Gators Breakdown all throughout the week. We'll have plenty of coverage uh, leading up to the LSU game. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.